At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Reveal, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. As you guys get settled in, I want to begin this morning by going over a few things and communicating how wonderful I am. Yeah. Now, I know you laugh, but I want to just go over a few things that, d- that display the magnitude of my awesomeness. Okay? So, here we go. Journey with me, okay? Let's start with the at home. As a husband, the word is stellar. <laughs> stellar. I think they made a movie about me a few years ago. It's called An Ideal Husband. And as a father... Father of the year. I think it's about 10 years running, isn't it, guys? About 10 years? Yeah. As a neighbor, I'm the guy that you want next door. Now, to be, to be clear, I can't really do a lot, but I sure know how to tell you to do a lot. I'm the guy you want as a neighbor. Now, let's bring it back to the church. Now, you've talked about what's going on and my awesomeness at home. Let's talk about the church. I mean, when you evaluate the Mount Rushmore of preaching, you start with maybe Billy Graham. And you get to maybe Chuck Swindoll. The younger folks among us might put Louis Giglio up there. And then there's me. Leadership. I've read all the books, been to all the seminars. Feel free to follow me anywhere. I just want you to know that the resume is extensive. It's impressive. Do you feel me today? Do you, do you connect with what I'm saying? Obviously, I am a gift to many. This is where I pause and say, I sure hope that you understand and appreciate sarcasm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You see, because if you don't, what I, should, what I just outlined should actually cause you to get up and walk out the doors or to click off our Facebook page. Because what I just highlighted for you was a heart filled with pride and with arrogance. Me, I. You see, those two words, pride and arrogance, actually have no place in the heart of a child of God. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, how can you say that so clearly, so strongly, so distinctly? How can you say that, that that's true? I can say that because of what Jesus teaches us today in our parable. We're going to get there in just a minute, but before we get there, let's pray together. Gracious God, you are our heavenly Father, and we are privileged to call you that. God, we bring nothing to the table. God, this morning we acknowledge that we need you, that we need to experience your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. And yet, God, you've called us here today. You've invited us 
to enter into a time of bringing you worship. God, we do that in so many different ways. We do that with the, the singing and proclamation of our voices. We do that when we give to you from what you have first given to us. These are acts of worship. And now, God, as we open your word, we acknowledge that that too is an act of worship as we are submitting our hearts and our minds to your truth. Because that's what it is. So, God, this morning we ask for eyes to see the truth that's found in your word. We ask for ears to hear this truth. And then, Father, we ask that you would grant us the humility and the courage that it takes to walk out this truth in the week ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, our Revealed Sermon series continues. And as you know, we've been examining a number of parables from Luke's gospel. Now, parables, you'll remember, are those stories that are taught with a relatable context, maybe packaged in a fresh way, that ultimately teach us a godly lesson. And this week's parable has two central characters. The first one is a Pharisee. He's among the religious elite. He is someone who would take his faith and practice very, very seriously. He had a high commitment to the practices of religious life. Now, a Pharisee was someone who not only lived it, but acted like they lived it and wanted others to live it as well. And so we can make them a bit of a topic of scorn. And yet perhaps we need to reevaluate. We'll get to that in just a moment. Now the other person in the story is a tax collector. Now what we need to know about a tax collector is that was one of the most disrespected professions in that first century culture. You see, tax collectors were often dishonest men. In fact, many would see that they were traitors because what they did is they took your resources and what they would do is then they would send them off to the Roman Empire. Oh, by the way, those were people who were occupying Israel. So you have the Pharisee, the guy who is super religious, and then you have the tax collector, the traitor. Two men on opposite ends of the cultural divide Two men who had different practices when it came to their religion. So that's the background. I want to encourage you now to read the story with me. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18. We'll pick up the parable as Jesus tells it at verse 9. Again, Luke 18 verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself, he will be exalted. Again, what we've heard is the story of two men, two very different prayers. I hope that you notice the significant gap in those two prayers, because the gap is shocking. Now, some of us might say, well, wait a second, Pastor, isn't it a little judgmental to judge two different style of prayers? I mean, the fact of the matter is, when you and I pray, we pray differently, right? There's many different styles in the way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father. Well, that is certainly true of believers. There's one significant thing about these prayers that you and I should take notice of. In fact, it should cause us to do more than take notice. It should mess with us a little bit this morning. It should mess with us at a heart level, and it should mess with us in terms of our mind. So let's dig a little bit deeper in the story. And again, we have the Pharisee. He's the righteous guy. He's the pious guy. He's the law-keeping guy. You know, and it's easy for us as contemporary followers of Jesus Christ to poke fun at this guy. But let's remember the Pharisees were actually a group of people who sought to live a holy life. They did so by their religious practices. And so while we have the benefit of looking at them and considering the error of their ways, they were people who were striving for holiness. But clearly, the Pharisee that Jesus is referencing in this story is special. He's special. Just look at him. If you didn't catch that when we first read that, let's look back once again at verse 11. The Pharisee is standing all by himself. What does that communicate? That communicates he's not engaged with anyone else. It's all about him by himself. And he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Not like extortioners, I'm not unjust, I'm not like the other adulterers, or even like this guy, this tax collector. You see, I fast twice a week. I give tithes for all that I get. Did you guys catch that? I'm going to pause right there. Did you catch how many times he used the phrase, I? I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. I fast twice every single week. I give tithes of all that I get. Feel the weight of that for just a moment. The Pharisee prays to Almighty God with a heart filled with himself. It's filled with himself. He stands in the temple to be seen by all, to pray about his own holiness, to pray about his righteousness, to pray about his works. 
Church family, what's missing from his prayer? How about an acknowledgement of God's holiness? How about an acknowledgement about his dependence upon God? How about an acknowledgement of his own fallenness, a segment of confession? There's really no acknowledgement of any need at all. You see, the Pharisees' prayer is a model of self-efficiency, of grandiose self-efficiency. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? Theologian Simon Kistemacher explains the Pharisee's heart this way, and I like the way he sums it up. He says, God should be pleased to have a law-abiding Pharisee address him in prayer. That's one guy. Now let's transition and hear the heart of the other man. Verse 13. But the tax collector, he was standing far off. He would not even lift his eyes to the heavens, but instead he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please tell me you see the difference. Please tell me you feel the difference. There is an awareness in this man. There is a self-awareness about him that should capture our heart and our mind today. So let's evaluate. Where is the tax collector in this story? He feels so ashamed that he is off in the distance. He doesn't even enter into the space with other people. What is his posture before God? He's so ashamed at himself that he will not even turn his eyes upward. He knows the shame. He feels the weight of his sin. And he can't even look up. What's he doing physically? He's beating his chest. Why? Seemingly because that's the source of his sin, the sin that's in his heart. You see, what we see with the tax collector is that he is a broken and a contrite man, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the contrast between these two men causes you and I to acknowledge that there are two significant and different ways that we can approach God. We must acknowledge that there are two very different ways to approach God. Now, kids, for those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to encourage you with two very specific words from this text. All right, are you guys ready? The first guy, the Pharisee, was filled with pride. Pride is the word. The second guy was filled with humility. Humility. That's the second word. You see, Jesus desires that all of us who hear this parable, whether we're children, whether we are adults, He desires that we will consider, that we will reflect and we will pray about our approach to Almighty God. So let me ask you, when you come before the throne, do you bring your resume with you? 
I mean, pastor, I lead a group. I have devotions every single morning. I pray regularly. That's what I bring to the table. Or do you approach the throne of God open-handed, bringing nothing except a humble heart? That's the question that we must ask ourselves as we look at this parable. When we approach the throne of Almighty God, are you depending on your own goodness? Are you depending upon your religious resume? Are you depending on your own holiness, your own good works? Or do you come to Him acknowledging that you are in need, that you need His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness? Where's your heart today? Now, as you wrestle with that for just a moment, I'm going to turn your attention back to our text, specifically verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house. He left that experience and went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. You see, what Jesus is exposing in this tale is that it, the posture of our heart matters. The posture of your heart and of my heart matters to God. It's the man who saw his own sin, who grieved his own sin, who repented of his own sin, humbled himself before God. That's the one that Jesus says is justified. That's the guy. Not the religious guy. Not the guy that did all the fancy religious stuff. It's the humble guy who comes before a holy God, empty-handed. You see, God accepts the broken. God receives those with contrite hearts. He is the one who receives people like the tax collector. And Jesus tells us that it is the tax collector. That's the guy whose sins are forgiven. That's the guy who's justified. But let's be honest, that messes with our kind of cultural identity of Christianity, doesn't it? I mean, let's be serious. Isn't Christianity about following a set of rules? We're the religious type and we do a bunch of strange activities, right? The list is long of things we can't do or we shouldn't do, and those are the things that make us holy, right? Actually, Jesus himself says just the opposite. Just the opposite. So we can stop our resume building because it does not earn our justification. Our works do not earn our justification. Then the obvious question is, well, pastor, what does? What does? Friends, it is a matter of the heart. 
It's a matter of the heart. And this gives us the second action step this morning, that you and I must accept that the way of the kingdom is actually a heart matter. The way of God's kingdom is a heart matter. Now, there might be some of you who would say, well, wait a second, I I have grown up in the church. I was taught to do all of these things. Are you saying I shouldn't do those? I didn't say that. But what I did say is they don't earn us anything. Let's look back to our text, second portion of verse 14. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if we, like the Pharisees, are trusting in ourselves, in our works, in in, in the things that we do, Jesus says we will be humbled. Jesus declares that the, the path of destruction begins with a heart of pride, a heart of arrogance. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does He? He declares that the one who is humble, the one who is lowly, the one who is contrite, the one who is completely broken and undone before God, theirs is the path to glory. They are the people who receive from God. So let's pause for just a second and make a little cultural assessment. Because what I'm talking about is the exact opposite of what we see in our culture, isn't it? I mean, the famous and the wealthy, that's who receives glory in our world. And as we examine today's parable, Jesus is showing us a different way. Jesus is showing us a different world, actually. You see, through this parable, Jesus helps you and I to see the typical practices and the typical things in our world have become upside down. He taught this a long time ago. Blessed are the popular. No, that's not the way of the gospel. Blessed are the celebrities. No, that's not the way of the cross. Blessed are the influencers. No, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. So that leads us to a couple questions, doesn't it? Then who's blessed? I mean, how do I receive that personally? If this is true of these two guys in the story, then what's in it for me? How in the world am I exalted? How does that happen? We must answer this question. What qualifies you? What qualifies me for God's kingdom? If your first thought when I asked that question, was church attendance. If your second thought was serving, if your next thought was tithing, I got bad news for you. I'm going to start the sermon all over again. You see, what qualifies you and me for God's kingdom is the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus who is the Christ. That's what qualifies you and me for God's kingdom. 
in utter dependence and total reliance upon Jesus, that's what qualifies you and me. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By God's grace through your faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that none of us, so that no one may boast. White Lake family, it is only the grace of God that allows humble men, women, and children like you and like me to receive forgiveness. It is only by the grace of God that humble men, women, and children like us are justified. And it is only by the grace of God that humble men, women, and children like us are exalted. As we close, I'm reminded of that third verse of the classic hymn, Rock of Ages. Here's what it says. It says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Church, no matter what your religious resume is, or how impressive your spiritual accomplishments might be, God invites you and me to lay them down at the foot of the cross in true humility and depend upon Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.